Devotion for the Dying Mary's Call to Her Loving Children by Venerable Mother Mary Potter Continuing Chapter 2 You may have heard how a certain lay brother in a monastery, whose duty was to cook for the community, was observed amidst all the distraction of his office to preserve a wonderful recollection and spirit of prayer, being constantly discovered in tears. Being asked how he did so, he replied that the fire at which he was required to be reminded him continually of the fire of hell. We may imagine the various forms this holy man's meditations took from the sight of the fire, which was so constantly before him. At one time, it would be gratitude to God, who had died to save him from these eternal flames. Another time, it would bring him humility in the thought of the sins he either had committed or might commit, or the sins of others, and the purity of justice of God, which demanded satisfaction, which demanded the fearful punishment of everlasting fire as reparation to his outraged majesty. And then he would have to turn again to Jesus, upon whom had been laid the iniquities of us all, and remind him lovingly of his passion, of all he had endured to save souls from the eternal misery of hellfire. And with great earnestness, with a heart full of pity, he would beg Jesus to show mercy to them. He would beseech Mary to pray they might not die in their sin and be cast body and soul into fires so fearful that the fire on earth may in comparison be called but a figure of it. The example of this holy monk shows likewise how every state in which God's providence places us tends to sanctify our souls and has peculiar graces attached to it. This simple monk in his humble employment, arrived at a higher state of holiness than he would have done if, to please himself, he had remained hours before the Blessed Sacrament. All the day long, there are occurrences, simple accidents of daily life, by which, if we wish, we may raise our thoughts to the unseen world. Have you ever seen a dog separated from its whelps? Chained to its kennel, the poor animal is in very agony, giving forth almost one continuous moan, almost a sob. Howling fearfully, sometimes it will leap to the end of its chain, almost dragging its kennel with it. Wearied, it goes back into its kennel and lies down. But out again, it cannot rest, and the melancholy howl terminates again in the low, almost human sob. It is distressing to hear, but we can draw from this scene a good thought as we think of the frantic, ineffectual efforts of the lost soul to reach God. So strong is the tendency of a disembodied soul to seek God that the power of God alone could keep it back. Do you know what it would be to be ever tending to what you know you could never reach? To be ever falling and yet never reaching the ground? To be ever drawn by an attraction stronger than the attraction which draws the apple from the tree to the ground, and yet never to be able to reach the center to which you are attracted. Not one straggling ray of hope enlightens those accursed of God. Can you realize it? No. You would die if you did. But our Lord did. Jesus saw it, realized it, O oh Mary, whom thou, thy favored servant, St. Louis de Montfort, has called the echo of God, 
Make to arise up in our hearts some reverberation of the echo that arose in thine own when the cry of dereliction rose from the heart of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Son of Man, he who made himself our brother, took the punishment of sin to its extremity. He who died for all sinners, he who died for each in particular, he who saw each individually before him as he hung on the cross, he has taken all our iniquities upon himself. He had placed himself in our place before the Father. And when the Father rejected us, he felt that rejection in a certain sense, as applied to himself. Jesus, in taking human nature, made himself one with us. Oh, that God may give us grace to understand how Jesus is our own, our very own, and then we may come nearer, though it be but a little nearer, to understanding the dereliction of our Lord on the cross, how he the vine felt the branches that would die and be taken from him. He presented himself before the Father for all creatures, for each individual soul. Each soul sorrows for its own misery, but Jesus sorrowed for all. His grief was greater than any earthly grief, for he was capable of greater suffering. His grief was great indeed, for he alone could understand what those forever wretched souls had lost. Think of these things by the side of Mary, and they will be profitable to you. We must not shut our eyes to the truths of faith because our own inclinations lead us to look at what is most consoling to ourselves, and we would prefer to keep away from us the thought of the eternal fire of hell with its living victims as something too terrible to contemplate. Unless otherwise directed, the soul should not ignore this terrible witness to God's awful purity and his most strict justice. It is a subtle device of the evil spirit to try to hinder souls from meditating on this part of God's creation, either by raising scruples, suggesting doubts, or various other temptations well known to directors of souls, who therefore wisely advise that what causes trouble and distress of mind can do no good in such cases and is not to be dwelt upon. Where God is, there is peace. But did Our Lady lose her peace at the sight? at the sight of her children in those flames? No, most certainly not. Sorrow she did, and mourn with our Lord, but her mind would not have withheld itself, if it could have done so, from seeing aught that revealed more of God to her. As the beautiful paintings of the old masters derive a great deal of their beauty from the marvelous admixture of light and shade, and would lose their charm without such contrast. So a weak soul, that looks upon the world of sin, and shuts out the thought of the eternal punishment that was made to punish sin, does not see God as the stronger soul does, who, led by Mary, is taught by the darkness of hell the wonderful light and purity of God. Mary, though she is the mother of fair love and of holy hope, is likewise the mother of fear, as is read in her office. The immaculate flesh trembled. The spotless soul of Mary feared as she contemplated what she knew was above even her comprehension, the unspeakable sanctity and holiness of God. Mary saw the whole of the universe 
with its lights and shadows, its exterior darkness and its unapproachable light, and derived profit from all. All God's works are instructive to us, though like His gifts, we may abuse them instead of using them. A saint has said, unless we go down to hell in spirit now, we are likely to go down body and soul hereafter. Humility grows wonderfully in our souls as we look upon the punishment God created for sin and in the thought that we have within us, no matter how high our grace may be, a capability of conceiving and giving birth to that monster, that abortion, mortal sin. We are capable of doing it, as those examples of the old laws show us. See Solomon, the wisest of men. See David, the man after God's own heart. Not only are we capable of committing mortal sin, but most of us have committed it, and by mortal sin deserved eternal punishment. It is a fearful thing to contemplate. There is nothing so terrible as mortal sin. Its punishment, eternal separation from God, is not as horrible. The soul that commits a mortal sin turns from God, its true spouse, and becomes an adulteress. Instead of the soul giving itself to the Holy Ghost, that by the operation of that divine spirit, Jesus Christ may be formed within it, the soul gives itself to the devil, and by yielding to the operation of that evil spirit, conceives and begets the enemy of Jesus Christ, sin. If your soul is not strong enough for the contemplation of hell and its unfortunate inmates, you are right to treat it as an invalid must do, and not consider it. But you nevertheless lose a grace, which you should strive to make up for by humbling yourself. But do not, I beseech you, make what is perhaps needful for yourself, a rule to be applied to others with whom you may have any influence, by leading them to think that the thought of hell, the devil and his satellites, is a thought not calculated to do good. The evil that is caused by the forgetfulness of these truths is not known. We are surrounded on all sides by temptation. A saint saw the whole earth so spread over with various temptations, with traps set by the evil spirit to ensnare the human race, that he broke out with the exclamation, Who then can be saved? It was but a momentary wonder, for he of course knew well that God's grace is sufficient to overcome all temptations. We all know this. It would be a great sin to doubt it. But not knowing our danger, we do not seek God's grace, and we fall. We do not think that numerous of our actions are done at the instigation of the devil. Many would be offended with you if you told them that. Oh, foolish, most foolish people. God grant they may not remain blind to this important truth until they visibly see in the next world what they should have seen by the eye of faith in this. The power, the art, the cunning of that spirit of darkness the ingenuity with which he has woven a web over the whole earth, and the dexterity with which he ensnares, entraps, and draws within his clutches those who, as flies, unthinkingly flutter about the earth, forgetful of the enemy who night and day lies in wait for them. They walk in the midst of dangers, heedless as moths near the flame which attracts them, and they fall like those moths through ignorance of their danger.
This has been taken from Devotion for the Dying, Mary's Call to Her Loving Children by Venerable Mother Mary Potter, published by Tan Books. Call 1-800-437-5876 or on the web at www.tanbooks.com. This work is in the public domain.